expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Very merry on this episode 142 of the Down and Nerdy podcast this week, where, you know what, Nick, I say... Screw Jimmy Fallon. Let's let Deadpool host the Golden Globes. Yeah, man. I think it'd be a lot more eventful, a lot more blood, a lot more katana throwing. And, and, and I bet, you know, can you imagine? I think he would change the statues to where they little colossuses. Yeah, they probably would. And they wouldn't be gold anymore. No, so. they, they, and the silver balls go, too. <laughs> well, I know that there's plenty of people that have always wanted to see Deadpool's Globes. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they might actually get that chance, though. They might. Seriously. They might. And, and we were actually serious about it. Before we you know, go further on that, I'm the Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia, alongside. I'm James with them. And the reason that we say that is because... We've got a first, and I we mean, have a first. I think that we we kind of always wanted this to happen, and I think that this is a fitting way for it to happen. Well, you, you go back to the Oscars years ago uh, when Dark Knight, you know, Heath came out and Heath Ledger won for Best Supporting Actor in the Oscars, but at that time, the Dark Knight was only nominated for like. It was sound editing, sound mixing. It was a sound award. The typical stuff that yeah. you see a movie, like a superhero movie, get nominated but for. But now, in 2016, you know, we've, we've always pined for, hey, you know, these movies like Avengers, like Deadpool, are making lots of money and having a lot of fans coming out and enjoying them. So, you know, could they sneak into a Best Picture category? And Deadpool is now the first live-action superhero movie to be nominated for a Golden Globe, and that's just amazing. I mean, think about just how unique that movie was, though, right. in its in its own right, and, and the performances not just by Ryan Reynolds, we'll get to him in a minute, but everybody in the cast that just kind of embraced this whacked-out idea that everybody just loved. But not just that, but when you think about live-action superhero movies, you think about what we've had, the Dark Knight series, you think of... Everything that's currently in the DC Universe now, even though a lot of people aren't fans of that. Avengers, everything in the MCU. Deadpool's the first one. Yeah. You know, and think about that. This is a movie where just a year or a couple years ago, I didn't even think it was going to happen. No. And now to go from, man, this thing's been pre-production hell for so many years, and it's not going to get made for variable reasons. It gets made. It breaks multiple records for box office. Mm-hmm. And... It's just one of those things where even now they're still putting out like viral videos of for Deadpool and stuff like that. You know, Deadpool Two is coming, so I think you look at just where it was and now where it is now, and you cannot say that this isn't you know one of the most impactful films I think in the last probably five or ten years just because of what it's done. And it's such a passion project too, and to see see Ryan Reynolds get nominated for Best Actor in the category right. that Deadpool the Deadpool movie is in as well as. It's well-deserved, man, because it's it's one of those things where when you saw it, I think when, um, I'm trying to think back when we reviewed it earlier on in the year, where I said, what do you compare this to? Right. Nothing. Nothing. You can't compare it to anything because it was so unique, even not just in the genre, but in general, you can't compare it to anything, and now here you go, the but recognition But not just that, it. and the reason why I'm so glad, I mean, not just because I'm a huge Deadpool fan, everybody who's listened since episode one knows how big of a Deadpool fan I am. The reason why this is such an impactful thing, such a big monumental thing for the movie, is not because it's just a superhero movie and it's live action. It's because this got the ball rolling on, are we going to get more R-rated superhero movies? Yeah. Are we going yeah. to... And we are. And we are. And we're going to talk more about that later in the show, but I mean, 
this got the ball rolling on so many other ideas in Hollywood. Even some fears of like, oh my god, are we going to get too many R-rated movies? Are we going to get movies that are based on comics that should not be R-rated? You know, and, and stuff like that. And, I mean, this got us a fucking R-rated Logan movie. Right, exactly. Not only that, but it, it had the balls to be what it was, unapologetically, a movie that was made for the Deadpool fans, that was true to the character, and not trying too hard to be something that it didn't need to be, a la Batman versus Superman, that just tried so hard to be so serious, right. and it didn't work out. This stayed true to the characters. You did it exactly right, and now you're getting a reward for it. And maybe the, the bigwigs at the Hollywood Foreign Press and even other other agencies as well are finally realizing that Superhero movies are not just popular. They're telling good stories, right. and they need to be recognized for that. Right, and the thing is, you look at a lot of like Oscar talk, and I mean, this is going to be interesting, too. Like, okay, Golden Globes are, are done. What gets nominated for an Oscar? And especially since the Oscars have expanded the Best Picture right. category. I mean, remember when The Hangover got nominated yeah. for an Oscar, so why not Deadpool? And that's the thing. is like, now, will Deadpool win the Oscar? Obviously, no. probably not. But, no. the, but even if it just gets nominated for Best Picture, yeah. if you got... It, you know, if, if Ryan Reynolds somehow got a Best Actor nomination for Deadpool, the thing is, I think Reynolds has more of a chance to get Best Actor for Deadpool than I think the movie getting Best Picture. I would say that too, just because of how great his performance was, and I don't even think you need to be a comic book fan or a Deadpool fan to appreciate no. what he did in that movie and the range that he had to show right. in that movie. People don't realize that there was some serious stuff in Deadpool too. You got to think about that. So. Yeah, I mean that was that was really great, and I I'll be very interested to see now. Do I think Deadpool will win this Golden Globe as well? Probably not. Yeah, but I mean the chance is there. The chance is there. It, it's real. It's it's there and it's real. And again, it's just it's so awesome to be in 2016, be a comic book fan, be a nerd in general, love somebody who you know Deadpool had a game, so you know be a gamer as well, and yep. just finally I think getting that that recognition. And just saying, like, hey, we're putting these projects out, and they're not just making money. They're actually projects that have a foundation. They actually have substance to them to where awards people are like, oh, my God, this is so good. We cannot ignore this. And I think it's just a fascinating time. And I think it also, when you talk about opening the door, I think it opens the door for letting people who are making these movies go, you know what? We can stay true to the character. It's okay because people are now starting to see that these are good stories and maybe, just maybe, after Deadpool getting nominated and I think Suicide Squad being a nice for-the-fans type of movie, maybe this is where we're going to start shifting now. I like that. Well, remember, I believe Suicide Squad, the soundtrack, got nominated for a Grammy, I believe. And then, and then there's that. So, I mean, you, you look at it, it's just a great awards time, so who knows what this is going to spawn. But coming up next... We have two new comics this week. Find out what they are. What we're reading is coming up next. This is writer Andy Bengals, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes, or should I say at least for this week, pull out our stockings. Oh, yeah. And see what we're reading this week. And James, you know, I've mentioned this a while back. I'm such a huge fan of the Green Hornet. I talk about... You know, being a little kid, my grandfather had all the old radio shows on tape and listened mm -hmm. to them in my grandmother's basement when I was younger, and, and just the, the fascination of it, and just the era of it as well, and 
So Dynamite, of course, you know, they love those classic titles. Oh, yeah. You know, they had the Shadow that wrapped up recently. Now the Green Hornet is back in Green Hornet Reign of the Demon. It's written by David Liss. It's illustrated by Cooper Ball and colored by Adriano Augusto. And the way this is set up is, now, I love the Green Hornet. But I'm not. I know there was a, a, a the last Green Hornet comic I remember that came out was the crossover with him and Lone Ranger. Yep, that was the last one I remember. Anyway. Right, and so this one starts off where you're back in Chicago. Now it doesn't tell you what era it's in, but it looks like the 1940s, 1950s era, early era, just the way the cars are and people dress and everything else. Right. This takes place in Chicago, and it's out of the hands of Vito Sorelli, and pretty much it's one of those things where. The narration starts off where it's like, I got rid of this guy. I thought that was it. But now something else is taking... You know, it's one of those things where you cut the head off of a Hydra, you know, three, four more grow yep. back in his place. Yep. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I've removed this guy from all his corruption and everything else like that. I've cleaned out his entire crew from the inside out. But now this, this, this guy, this person, has taken over and he calls himself the Demon. And now he's pretty much just set himself atop of this criminal underworld in Chicago, now it's kind of like, okay, now I'm back to square one again with, you know, the Green Hornet. And the one thing about the Green Hornet that's great is that this starts off with the Green Hornet, and he's really, I mean, he's always been a serious character, but he's, I think, the early era's Batman. Okay. And how he deals with people. Like, for example, there's a scene, I would say a panel uh, or, or two, where the Green Hornet's kind of interrogating somebody, and the guy says, oh, you're a hero. He goes, I'm no hero. I'm nobody's hero. And so it's one of those things where, like, you know, it's not really one of those things where he toes the line of, I'm a good guy, I'm a bad guy. I mean, he cleans out corruption and stuff like that, but it's one of those things where he's like, I do have a dark side to me. He's just not breaking people's arms and stuff, is what you're saying. Right. I mean, he's got Kato there, which is kind of like his angel, if you will, on the shoulder mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But what's great about the Green Hornet, too, is that, of course, you know, Brit is his, you know, alter ego as well. And so there's a nice mixture of Brit and Green Hornet in this. Oh, that's good. And when you get, but the great thing about this is Brit is totally the opposite of Green Hornet, his Green Hornet persona. When you get Brit, you see those, you know, when him and Kato and, you know, are out of their costumes, Brit's cracking jokes. Mm -hmm. And the jokes are really funny. Uh, there's some, some quick quips that he makes. There are, are one-liners that are really good. And the communication between him and Kato is great. And then there's a part in the comic where, somebody he meets, a Green Hornet, I should say, meets early on that says, I want you to work for me. Something happens to that person, and then you see the weight hit Brit like nah, a ton of bricks. And go. he's like, I don't know if I want to do this. And Kato, again, being that guy, like, hey, you're not going to quit on me. You're not going to do this. So, again, it gives you that nice thing of, of balance, of doubt, and not just like, I'm just a badass. You know, That's what great thing that List does in this. And you have that great sense of, Okay, there's a couple of new characters that are introduced in, in this book as well. Uh, one of them being the new police chief. And you look at the new police chief here, and he is one of those guys where in the beginning you're kind of like, okay, police chief, early, you know, early to mid-1900s, can we trust him? Yeah. In you know, Chicago? In Chicago. Yeah. During the, yeah. I believe it's the, you know, the supposed Capone era. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. I mean, it's the Dillinger kind of is right around that yeah. too, isn't he? Yeah. Well, there you go. And so you look at it, and you're like, okay, but then it, it gets, you know, it kind of eases those things a little bit of like, 
okay, maybe we can trust him. And that's what's great. So what's great is, they, is, is, is Liss introduces characters in here. I mean, characters that you know, and then there's some new characters in here that you might not know who they are. And he does a great job of, of again, making everybody feel important. He does a great job of balancing everything out. He does a great job of making you care about this person. Not, and not just like, oh, they're on a panel. Oh, shit. I think it's going to get slowed down yeah. now. No, it's great. And then you see, you know, the connection that Britt has with the new police chief. And you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And they remind you, literally remind you, or at least reminded me, of Batman Jim Gordon. Oh, well, that's an interesting old dynamic to create then. Right, but it's opposite of that. It's it's Jim Gordon. It's like Jim Gordon, Bruce Wayne, really, because he only sees Britt in his, in Britt's, Britt just in a suit. He's not wearing a mask or anything like that. He's not the Green Hornet. So it's one of those things like, oh, this is going to be very interesting to what if, what if he finds out who Britt really is and everything right. else. Right, right. And because and, 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 Britt brings it up, he's like, Oh, you have this green horn, these guys in masks, and the police is like, there's more, this is Chicago, there's a lot more to worry about than guys yeah, in masks. Right. <laughs> so, I think that that's really cool. The art in this, I mean, again, you pick up a dynamite book that deals with something like the shadow, it deals with the green hornet. You get that, that beautiful, you know, crystal clear, old school feel to it, that, that nice noirish look to it. And it's very detailed. I mean, it's just, you look at it around it, and what's great is that you look at this book, and just from the art stance, it's not just one thing I like about this book too is that there's a lot of things in comics that people do is they'll take one page and make this big giant splash page or yeah. whatever like yeah. that, or just be like one page of this one giant hero esque figure taking up the entire mm-hmm. page. That's not what they do here. That every panel, every page has multiple panels in it, so you don't get that. I'm like, that's kind of a refreshing thing. It really is, and it actually brings in that that nice older feel to this book, and. Overall, man, this is just from the art to the writing, and just you look at you get a look at Demon here, and just you know you, you see what he looks like. You don't know who he is, but off the bat, you get a guy who, let's just say, when he's confronted by the Green Hornet, he's ready. It's like Bane when he breaks Batman's back and he's yeah, ready for him. There you go. Not saying a moment like that happens, but it's just that's kind of an adver- if I had to compare him to an adversary because the Green Hornet again. It's easy, just the way he's a detective and everything else, to tie him to that Batman world, that Batman mythos, because of, of just who he is and everything else like that and how he handles things. You draw, you know, again, I grew up knowing about Batman before Green Hornet, so it's who I, you know, it's the closest yeah. person you tie you to. You can't help but make that connection. And to have a villain like that that's kind of ready to go like yeah. Bane was. He, he's, he's kind of like, he's got the, the smarts. And planning of Bane, but he also has a feeling of Black Mask, too. Wow, that's very interesting. But overall, man, this is a definite pull for me. I, I'm in love with this. Again, the art is just fantastic. The writing is great. Uh, again, you know, Green Hornet, if you're a fan, and this is one of those things where, again, if you don't know who Green Hornet is, if you want to get into him, this is a great place to pick up. Because also, again, it, it picks up to where, you know, the, the Chicago's out of the hands of Sorelli, so you're just like, Oh my God! Did I miss something? But you might feel that at first, but the narration clears all that up, and you feel like you brought up to speed, and That's everything good. works. That's very good. So what'd you do this week? I decided to go back to Boom Studios, and some of them we're kind of familiar with our buddy Steve Orlando, and do a book called Namesake. Now they've already had the first issue; it's going to do issue two, of course, written by Steve Orlando, Jacob Rebel. Wow, Rebelka! There we go. Jacob Rebelka does the art and letters by Thomas Maurer. Now. If you're not familiar with the story of Namesake, basically it's a story that centers around a guy by the name of Jordan Molossus. And the Earth kind of crosses over with a another world called 
Ecte, which is kind of full of like alchemy and magic and stuff right. like that. And it only crosses over at a certain point. It's only for like a week, and then it's over, and then you wait for the next cycle to come up. Well, we're getting close to that cycle now, and Jordan has traveled between both of these worlds before. That's already been established. Now, his main goal is he's actually trying to... He has his father's ashes, his dad's, he calls them. And he's trying to spread their ashes, lay them to rest kind of thing. But he's got problems with a guy named Farrier. Farrier hates him. He has his reasons for hating them. I will leave that for you to uh, read this book if you like. But it's a pretty good reason. Um, But the book doesn't start out in the best way for Jordan. It doesn't really end that well either. Right. But um, he, he's kind of in prison. Uh, if you read the first issue, I don't think that's much of a surprise. Well, well the thing is, is, the thing about Steve's writing that I like is like, a, a good amount of time, some things will not start out good for somebody, no. nor will they end the right way. So, that it is, but it's cool how, how Steve reads other work, how he kind of brings that stuff out of that era and is able to do that. He does. And and the way that you, this Jordan character, see, you can tell he's very complex, but the thing that, that's funny about him is that he has a very short fuse. Like, you remember when somebody would call Marty Chicken in Back to the Future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, it's kind of like that, where certain things certain people will say and he'll just snap and react without really thinking about what the consequences are going to be. That's at least the vibe that I got from it anyway. Okay. So that happens... Let's just say that happens once or twice. So pretty much, book. pretty much, what you're saying is a bunch of needles in this book, if you will. Pretty much, exactly. Yeah, he's he's definitely getting prodded a little bit. <laughs> um, and and there is actually something that happens after he's in jail that that kind of changes the game a little bit, and, and and suddenly turns into this. How can I put this without actually spoiling this? It's going to be really difficult. Um, let's just say that Jordan ends up with a lot of company. Okay. Uh, I'll say it that way because that's the best way I can. And, and it kind of turns into you get like almost a Mad Max vibe from this book at certain points. And I mean, really a Mad Max vibe. Now, it's funny though that you mention the art because the big splash pages and stuff like that. Yeah. Because there were times in this book where not only you had that, but you had the, you know, how it spans off the two pages. Right. It's just this giant, almost a collage. The way it was colored, the way it was drawn, it just seemed so crammed together. Really? It was just so jumbled. I had a hard time actually, you know, your eyes focusing on the page. You know what I mean? By the way, we should not call them splash pages anymore. It should be called Osseo Wrist Breakers. You are, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because, and this not just happened once, but twice in the book. And it was laid out almost like if you broke a piece of glass. Yeah. And that's what the panels were like. It was like all these yeah. different things. Now, there's a reason for them doing that, and I get it. I just think that... The way it was colored and drawn could have been laid out better because it wasn't supposed to be one giant setting. It was several different settings, right. but that's the way they just decided to lay it out. And I just didn't care for that. That was one of the things I didn't like. The other thing that I, I didn't really like was that they try to set a tone for why things are happening, and it just doesn't really jive. It just doesn't really feel like they're setting the tone the way they should. It's like, okay, so he's pissed off. I kind of get why he's pissed off. Right. But then it seems like the whole thing he wants to do with his dads, it's almost an afterthought. And the book even kind of mentions how it like becomes an afterthought. And I don't think that that should have been executed that way. It almost seemed like you had this... I know you've got to have action because it's comics, man. But it's almost like you had this heartfelt, meaningful thing that you pushed over here to deal with this thing first. So, so pretty much what you're saying is that the problem with this is 
there are some interesting aspects and some very emotional ties, but what happens is they just get pushed to the side and replaced with something else, and that gets pushed to the side. So it's kind of like, is it like it's building up a bunch of different things and just not tying them together, or is it just one of those things where they're building these different things up, but they're, not, they're losing focus on, on what's getting pushed back? It's more that. It's like you lose one thing for the other. And I'm not saying that everything should be tied together, right. but... You're not focusing on both things. You're definitely pushing one way. And this is a limited series, by the way. This is a four-part series. So you're in issue two. It, it, you know, you got to start kind of finding your focus here. And, yeah, I guess you can do two things at once. You can bounce. But the, I didn't feel that balance. And, and you know the what problem I mean? with, with that, just in writing in general, is just, you know, as someone who we both read comics for many, many years, it's just one of those things where, and even in movies as well, is when you have a, a limited thing, and you put in so many different pieces, and, and the thing is, is that as issues, you know, it's a four-part limited series, so as issues three, even four go in, you have to, like, have all these pieces just come and meld together, and it's going to, might feel rushed, it might feel crammed, it might be even to the point where you're like, oh, man, I don't know, like, what about this thing? This thing didn't get solved, I and mean, this might lead to some loose ends, so who knows? But, I mean, that's just a risk that you run when you try to put in so many different aspects in a limited series. And quite frankly, here's part of the problems with Jordan Mollusus, is that he makes a big point in this book several times about how nobody will ever understand him, understand his situation, understand his life kind of thing. And I get those kind of characters, but the way it's done, it's almost like you can't identify with him because you feel like you're not supposed to. So it's almost like you're making me not want to connect with your main character because you're forcing the fact that you can't understand him because of either his lifestyle or the things that he's been through kind of thing. So it, it makes him not as likable, and it makes you either not care about what happens to him or not care about the people that are coming after him. Right. So I thought that that, that was kind of a big miss. The art was okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. But it was okay. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't not read the book because of the art. But overall, man, I just didn't find reason enough to want to stick with it. So I got to, unfortunately, I got to give this a drop. Well, that's two weeks in a row you've given things a drop. No, last week was Nova, and now it's Namesake. Nova was closer though. Nova could have been a pickup, but they lost me in, in a, on a couple of particular things. But this one, I I just can't do it, man. I mean, I know there's two two issues left. I read issue one. I'm like, you know, I like the concept. I'll stick with it one more. We have a three-issue rule, but in a four-part series, you it's know. Too, well, the thing is, again, what worries me is just when you have, and this isn't just in this series, but just in any limited series, really, is when you, you know, as a, you know, I've written things before. You know, not books, but I've written scripts. And, and one of the things you want to do is when you have, you know, I've written short films and stuff like that. And the thing is you want to put all these different events in there. But then you're like, well, shit, I only have five minutes in this. You know, my whole short film is only supposed to be five minutes. Yep. How can I tie these things together? And again, you lose these things, and that's I think you know maybe if it was a little bit more linear, if it was if it was an ongoing series, it would I, I would think it would make more sense because you had more time to tell these different things, right? And even then, you could say okay, you know, if you have a, a, a let's just say it's gonna be an, let's just say if it was an ongoing series, you have a three arc thing. Okay, first arc's gonna be about the dads. Second arc's that's gonna be about this. That's what I was just this. gonna say. Why not do that? Why not? Because I think Rick Remender did that really well in Low. Right. When we when we talked to him about Low, he focused on one thing in Volume right. One, and then Volume Two slid into the second part of the story, and it was a good good transition. Whereas this almost seems like okay, 
we're going to start focusing on this. Oh, no, wait, we're supposed to focus on this. Oh, no, wait, we're supposed to focus on this. And it just doesn't work for me, man. It's just one of those things where it just sounds like really, you know, you have so many great ideas, but it's just a matter of, man, this, this would fit more in an ongoing series. Exactly. And that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. But coming up next, we have two trailers to discuss. We're, of course, going to be discussing Spider-Man Homecoming and also War for the Planet of the Apes. Those are coming up next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sean Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is the season of giving, and Nick, i got to tell you, we've been given a lot of trailers to talk about lately, so let's start off with one that we've been waiting for since San Diego Comic-Con when we... When, you know, not everybody got to see that footage. Now, everybody's finally seen footage from Spider-Man Homecoming, so let's just dive right in, man. Yeah, man. So, I mean, of course, this is the first time that we're seeing Spidey. I mean, we saw him in Civil War, but, I mean, this is the first time he has his own movie in the MCU. And and it's done by Marvel Studios and not Sony. So, of course, you know, this takes place after Civil War, and pretty much... You know, he's, he's back being Spider-Man. And, and really what I like about this, not only about the trailer, but just about what I saw from the, the gist of the movie is, first of all, this is a legit high school Spider-Man. Yep. Second of all, again, Tom Holland, when we did our Civil War review, I said this is the best Peter Parker and Spider-Man we've, I've, I think we've seen. Agreed. And, you know, you, you look at it, and this is the Spider-Man I think we've wanted where in terms of, like, cracking jokes and just... I mean, yeah, Andrew Garfield did it in the last movie, but this is to the point where, honestly, when I watched him and he's doing the whole band, like, you aren't the real Avengers. Like, I actually laughed. Yeah. Like, you know, where... It's one of the things where, like, his quips don't come off as, oh, my God, this guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah. It's more, wow, this guy's actually, you know, pretty funny. Because, again, one of the reasons why he talks like that and defeats his opponents is because... He pisses them off because he's just smart. And it's just one of those things where, like, again, his insults didn't come off as dickish. They came off as, as quite hilarious. Well, it's because Andrew Garfield had a dude bro haircut, first of all. And second of all, he had that kind of air about him. He didn't have that, you know, kind of high school-ish air about him. Right. him he had this dickish, dickish, prickish, douchish, dude bro type thing going on with him. And that's why he was very off-putting, whereas Tom Holland is that quintessential high school teenager like when he's talking to his buddy about this girl and he's right. trying to and he's trying to, Which, to talk to I her and impress her this. and he's pathetic and it's that's the way it should be. I, I will say this. There's no just from looking at the settings and just like when he finds out who he's he's Spider Man, that's gotta be gangy from the Miles Morales runs. Like that's gotta be <laughs> because oh no, because there was like literally a a, a because he, first of all, he looks like him in he the does, comics. He does. Second of all, there's a panel, I believe, where it's the exact same thing where he drops like a Millennium Falcon or a Star Wars ship Lego thing and just splatters all the floor. Like, so I'm like, yeah, you get lifted him from the Miles Morales run. And that's fine because fans will love that because everybody's clamoring for Miles Morales anyway. Now, as, as excited about this as we are and as, as good as the footage looked in parts, there's one huge concern for me, and that's the guy wearing the Iron Man suit. Yeah. I am so worried. I know it's a mentor thing, and and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to shit on this, but I'm so worried that people are going to go into this wanting so much Tony Stark and wanting so much Iron Man that he's going to be too much of a focus. You also have this. to figure too, like, because his contract, Robert Downey Jr.'s contract, is winding down. To, like, I think it's like the last couple of movies or whatever. So, so you think, like, if you're Marvel, like, we got to squeeze as much Robert Downey Jr. as we can before his contract's up. So it's like, well, what can we do? And like I said, I understand, and you said, you know, 
I understand that this is a mentoring thing. You know that that Tony is kind of like that father figure that Spider-Man Peter Parker doesn't have. But as you mentioned, you know, and I mentioned, this is his first Spider-Man's first real placement in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of his own movie. Can we just make it about Spider-Man? Can we? Can we? Just right. Do that? that was my point. Why not do that? And especially since you're starting fresh. You've got you've got your guy. You know you've got your guy, and you've already established him in Civil War. People already like him. You don't need to shove Iron Man in there if because you, to make him likable. You are people already love him. If you want him to make a cameo, it's fine because he does give him the suit and right. like that. And we and we don't know for sure that that it's not going to be just minor parts. Obviously. Right. But you also have to look at this from and you mentioned this through text when we were texting and when this thing came out. You made it, oh, hilarious. It's hilarious, but it's true. If Spider-Man needs Iron Man to defeat the Vulture and Shocker, that's fucking sad. It is sad. I mean, it's Vulture. I mean, come on. Not to mention, Vulture looks like Star-Lord had sex with a with a somebody from Fraggle Rock. No, it's, I mean, Vulture, it's like... He doesn't look like that. He looks more like if, 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 if a test pilot had sex with a mechanical bird. I mean, it's just... I don't understand the look. I really don't. I love Michael Keaton. Right. Love Michael Keaton, and I, I would never not want to see him in this movie. I think I think Vulture was the I, wrong choice. My thing was Vulture, even in the comics, has never been a character. I love Spider Man. He's like next to Deadpool is my second favorite character, uh, and, and in terms of comics I've read, but um, Vulture has never been the type of character, even in the animated series, who could carry something on his own. And you always had to have that secondary person in there. He was more of a secondary character. If they, I wish that what I really wish they would have done was done two things. Instead of doing Vulture, which I think part of it is because they wanted to do Vulture because he was supposed to be in Spider-Man Four. That was that Raimi wanted to do, and everything yeah, that John Malkovich yeah, yeah, casted. Yeah. So I think they're kind of like, oh, we got to let's try him anyways. But if they did a Mysterio movie to start this off... That's my choice. That or, was my choice. Or I know it's be hard because of his origin, because it's tied to J. John Jameson, but Scorpion... Like, I really want a fucking Scorpion movie. I think that that's one of those down the line, right. maybe get that... I mean, I know it's too soon to do, like, Craven the Hunter. I know you can't do Green Goblin right now. Nobody wants to see Electro again, and nobody kind of thing. Re- and nobody really wants... Honestly, I think nobody really wants to see Venom. Like because not I, yet, no, because, absolutely not. Because last time we saw Venom, he was it was fucking handled terribly. Right, and I mean, if you want to make a Venom movie first and see how that goes, I I think it's a risk. But I mean, yeah, f- why not? Just go ahead and try and do it, Sony, if you want to do it. But I think Mysterio would have been the perfect choice. I understand why you can't do Doc Ock and all these other right. guys right now. I understand take, that. They take place when Peter is like working at Daily Bugle or he's in college. And not only that, he's not ready for that yet. But well, he it doesn't have to be Vulture. No, it doesn't have to be Vulture. And the thing is, you know, going back to Green Goblin, it couldn't have been Green Goblin because Green Goblin was really his origin villain. Right. Like, that's really, you know, when Peter Parker first got his power, like, Green Goblin was his origin villain. So I think that, you, I'm glad they're not doing that. But, again, you look at, like, like Vulture, I'm like, really? And then you have Shocker on there, I'm like, meh, Shocker. Right, exactly. Bart <laughs> Talk, the leaper of the Spider-Man universe. Pretty much, yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean, Shocker's just never really been one of those characters. No. I mean, even in the video games, he was, like, an easy, somebody you can easily beat, you know. And It's just one of those things where I'm like, again, if Spider-Man needs Iron Man to defeat the Vulture and Shocker, like, all you got to do with Vulture is, and it looks like they have Chitauri tech, too, so I'm like, 
Jesus Christ, you're milking the fuck out of this whole Chitauri tech yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, like, this is, you know, from the first Avengers movie. And it's like, but I gotta look at this. If you go back to Vulture, just his look, I got a very, I'm like, that's not Vulture, that's Firefly from Batman. Well, and then there's that, too. Like, it's just one of those things where, you know, they have a tinker in there that's gonna be in, in there as well, so he's like, okay, what's he gonna do with the you throw as stuff. many villains again, in there as you these want. These are all secondary villains and stuff like that, and, and third-rate villains. So it's like, for a first Spider-Man movie, and to throw those guys in there and not have a Mysterio or a, a bigger name villain, you're going with this. It's very disappointing. Right, I think so too. And I get that he's inexperienced and he's new at this. Yada yada yada. Well, that that's really, fine. Well, that really was well, not really inexperienced because. You know, even in, in in Civil War, it's it's shown that he's been Spider-Man for like half a year at least. Right, but I mean, if you want to make the point that he's young and and naive and inexperienced, that's fine. But you don't have to throw him a layup right. in the first movie either. And you're making him look weak by adding Iron Man into this if he truly needs his help. If that's the case, now I don't know how much he's going to be involved in it. I get that, and. And people are pissed off about you know the the the, the suit having the webs. As the I web like wings. that. I love that I love too. I have no problem with that. I just think that, I mean, to your point, they've all but proven that Vulture is a secondary villain in the animated series multiple times, and he needs backup. But look at the backup you're giving him. Right. It's not good, man. I mean, this is not a good team dynamic. He should be able to handle this on his own. So I'm not saying it's going to be a bad movie. I don't think it's going to be. But at the same time, I can't be as excited about this as I wanted to be. Well, the thing is, is when you look at all the Marvel movies, what's the big thing that's been continuing through with them throughout? And that's the villain issue. Right. And Spider-Man, I, I will say this, I think of all Marvel's characters, Spider-Man I think has the best, most diverse rogues gallery. I don't even think it's close. In, in the Marvel Universe. I don't even think it's close. And I think you he has start off, the best. You start off with Vulture and Shocker. Like, are you, are, like again, like Mysterio could have been great. And again, there are villains that are more tied to him being older and, and his career and stuff like that. So that's fine. But it's just one of those things where I just look at it and I'm like, there's, there's nobody else. Now, who knows? Maybe we'll see us and Vulture and Shocker blow us away. Who knows? But it's, it is it's, Michael Keaton, so... It is Michael Keaton, but again, it's also how the, the Vulture was written, which is going to be interesting to see. But, I mean, overall, just, you know, we've, we've highlighted some of our, our, our highs and low points for this. So, I mean, overall, you know, going into this, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, we, we talk about, okay, we don't want Iron Man, you know, to take over and stuff like that. But what are your, uh, in a sense, what are you expecting out of this, I will say? I'm expecting us. I'm expecting them to lay the groundwork for where Peter Parker is at and where Spider-Man is at in this whole story. You know what? Where is he in the timeline of being Spider-Man? I think they'll establish that. I think they'll establish how comfortable he feels and things like that. And I think we'll get. They will make him the most likable character in the MCU. And I think they're doing that. For the reason you just mentioned, Robert Downey Jr. is pretty much out the door here not too long from now. So who can you slide right in there to take his place and have and not even miss a beat and maybe make people not really miss Iron Man at all? That's Peter Parker, that's Spider-Man, that's Tom Holland. People have already fallen in love with him, so they're going to give you the comedy aspect. They're going to give you the quips and the thwips. They're going to give you all of these things to make you love him in this movie and the villains are going to be an afterthought because you're going to love him so much you're not going to care. Right. And I think that's what a lot of Marvel fans that, you know, love Marvel movies regardless of who the villains are and the problems are, 
Marvel fans are going to point to that and say, well, he was so great that who cares? Well, maybe we won't care, but at the same time, you know he's going to be good. You know there's going to be a second movie. It's almost like this is the movie we have to get through to get to the good stuff. Right, and, and I, one thing I'm expecting out of this, I mean, we know we're going to get the best Spider-Man and Peter Parker we've, I think, ever had. And that's going to be a continuation of what we saw in Civil War. My thing is, I understand... I'm expecting to see how, outside of Iron Man, they tie us to the rest of the MCU. Like, for example, we know Iron Man's in it, but I swear to God, if we see, like, a Hawkeye or some other Avenger in it, yeah, I'm going to be like, like, stop. And that's, I think... And honestly, this is a problem that Marvel can have going forward with his other movies. We're going to move on to our next trailer in a second, but it is the fact of, okay... We have these Avengers, and they make lots of money, and their contracts are running out, so we got to get as much of them as we can. But what happens is, when you do stuff like what you did with Captain America Civil War, which you had to do, is now you're like, okay, well, Iron Man, Spider-Man, we got to do this. So now, you know, the, what is this going to do? Does this mean that we're going to see Captain America in the same prince role in Black Panther? Like, you know, that's the thing, is that these Avengers are going to start bleeding into, as you get into these newer characters, these newer movies... Are your Avengers from like your 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 Phase One gonna creep into these and kind of outperform or, or just override these characters you have set for these other later movies? Hulk and Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, what's gonna happen there? We haven't even gotten a trailer for that yet, but I'll tell you, worried about that already. Well, especially because they're taking Planet Hulk elements. Right, and Ragnarok. That's my problem, but I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. Right, but our second trailer is War for Planet of the Apes. Now. One thing I will say about the, these new Planet of the Apes movies is I love the shit out of them because the one thing that's important, I think, in any prequel, especially, you know, of course, with a prequel comes, you know, a movie that you already know the outcome of, is show how these events could have been avoided. Right. When you show how events like Planet of the Apes could have been avoided, that's what makes a great prequel to me. And it's what makes a great prequel story, especially when you spread it over three movies like they're apparently like they're doing with this. I don't think they're gonna do a fourth or whatnot. I would think after this one it would lead into Planet of the Apes. I think they're gonna do a transitional movie right. for the fourth movie. I think the fourth movie's gonna be transitional but after this one. It's like, okay, go, now we're turning the page. Right, but if you go into uh was it is it Rise was the second one? Rise Rise was the second one, Dawn was the first one. Okay. So it, it's one of those things where you look at the second movie and how it ended, where it ended with they're okay. We have a truce between the humans and the and the apes, and then something happens. Yep. And then that thing is detrimental, very detrimental. And Caesar looks at the human. I can't think of his name, but he looks at him and he goes, "You know what's coming, right?" Yep. He's like, "We we had this truce. You know, we worked together to defeat Gary Oldman and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. You know what's happening now, right? Like, you, like there's no way we cannot go to war. And this trailer kicks off with that, basically. Right. I mean, there's a part in the trailer where Caesar says. So you're coming to finish us off. Right. We were good. Now you're coming to finish us off. And then Hamish goes up on the big wall there <laughs> and says, you know, we created you, and now we've what been paying it? for it ever since. What is it about, like, post-apocalyptic that make people just, like, shave their head? I don't know, but what is it about Woody Harrelson being in post-apocalyptic right. movies? Right, right. Zombieland. I get that Hunger Games resurrected his career, but... But, well, no, you go back to Zombieland. And like, then there's that, too. You yeah. know, and stuff like that. So it's, it's interesting, and it's interesting what kind of a dynamic is he going... He, Woody Harrelson, going to be? Is he going to be, 
you know, a, a, a Gary Oldman type where he's like very anti-ape and he's like, I'm going to be the people that save, person that saves the humans, but we all know how that ends. Or is it going to be kind of the James Franco? Like, you know, the apes aren't the bad thing, but we know, you know, they're, they're not the enemies, but we got to do this, you know? To me, it strikes me as he's going to be a heavy-handed, militaristic type guy that says, we got to wipe them out. Right. That's what That's the vibe I'm getting. Now... How he's going to be able to execute that role will be very interesting to me. I know he's done some very serious stuff before, but for him to be that hardcore type of character, because he's always been that kind of character that has the sarcastic tone, and and that's what he plays well. So it would be very interesting to see Woody Harrelson in that heavy-handed you know, leadership type role where he's got to be the asshole, and he's got to be the one that goes in there with that heavy hand and take them out. The one dynamic, I think the one tone that this trailer shows what the movie's going to be like is that this is going to be to where I think both the human side and the ape side are really at their most, um, not dramatic, but just their most, like, they're at their wit's end, pretty yeah. much. Like they're, like, they're at a point where this is it. Like, we've had, we, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like if you're playing a game or whatever and you see your opponent, only had, like, you both have, like, two guys left. Yep. And you're like... Fuck! I gotta you know beat this. It's you know, or even in, in terms of a fighting game, you're both lost a round. Now there's one round left, yep. and you're both at your most, you know, and maybe your weakest. It. You have to you know regroup yourself. So who knows how this is gonna end? And really. you get that vibe in the trailer too, which is why I think it's such a good trailer. You get that vibe even before even seeing the movie. That all right, this is it. It's going down in this movie, and that's what you're gonna be expecting going in. And they set the trilogy up so well right. to get to this point and to, to bring back Hunger Games, something I think Hunger Games kind of failed at in the end, yeah. was not setting up their conclusion well enough, whereas this trilogy, it, it's setting it up to it's, be a trilogy. This is the last stand. Yeah, this is the last stand. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, and again, we, we know, you know how really this is going to end or who knows? Maybe they'll pull a 180. We don't know. But I think more likely we know how it's going to end. We've got a pretty good idea. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, again, going back to what I said in the opening of this, I said, you know, show how these things could have been avoided. So maybe, you know, there was maybe Woody Harrelson strikes a truce with Caesar, or maybe it's like, hey, you know, everybody around us is dead, you know, except for a few people, and then something happens. Focusing on that creation aspect that, his, that Woody Harrelson's character brought up fascinates me. And I want to see how much they right. delve into that. And if that and if that was the catalyst all along, kind of thing, you know. So and and was he the driving force behind that, or was he the one that was secretly going, "Hey, we got to take these guys out," kind of thing, or these apes out, I should say. So it'd be very interesting to see what tenor they decide to take and what route they decide to take, because I think that could set up that conclusion that we're looking for. Exactly, man. I think that this is going to be one of those things where. Hell, even if they said, you know what, we're going to just end it at this trilogy, I think the way they can end it, it it'd be perfect. It's fine. You yeah, just, it's just, fine. If you want to end it where we all know it becomes the planet of the apes, and that's really it, then that's totally, totally fine. You know, And you can make your decision from there, too. Do you want to continue? I wouldn't. Or is this good? I wouldn't either. Because if you have it to where, like, okay, it's, the, the humans have lost, and, and now they're enslaved by the apes and stuff like that. It just ends like that. You end. There's nothing wrong with ending a trilogy bleak. No, especially when you know how it's going to end. Right. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with it. And like you said, it's a prequel 
trilogy. I will say this. You keep Mark Wahlberg the fuck away from a spaceship. If, yes, after this trilogy. stop it. You, you stop, stop it. it. Don't do it. He's already, he's, already got, he's already busy with Cybertronians anyway. Leave as him much alone. as I love Tim Burton, that his rendition of Planet of the Apes was terrible. Well, you know. You know, things happen. But speaking of things happening and things that we've been hearing about, we do hear some sirens in the background. Jan's going to explain more about that next in Nerd News. Hi, this is Katrina Law from Arrow, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham and Nick Battaglia. Well, James, it's time that we put our ears to the speakers and listen to those sirens. It's time for what? Nerd News! I think the biggest news of this week has to do with the DCEU. Yes, it's rumored that we're going to get a Deadshot movie, but the biggest news... Deals with Miss Margot Robbie and her portrayal of Harley Quinn. And the Harley Quinn solo film, which really as of right now, is not a solo film. Nope. Boy, did we get a surprise this week when we found out that the Harley Quinn movie in reality is going to be the Gotham City Sirens. So, yep, we're getting Poison Ivy, we're getting Catwoman, and we're getting Harley Quinn. Wow, how did this happen? And for people who aren't people who have read Sirens and know much about Sirens, since you're the resident DC expert, I will say, give people a, a hint and just a look at the world of Gotham City Sirens. I mean, basically take what you would get from the Birds of Prey and flip that to the villain side, where you've got the ultimate team-up of those three strong female characters kind of together wreaking havoc. And if you've read Batgirl and Birds of Prey from Rebirth, they have that similar dynamic with each other. Which, Whereas Catwoman's more of the outsider because of the relationship between Harley well, Quinn and, and Poison Ivy. But it, it works. In back, I, I, I'm reading uh, Benson's Birds of Prey run right now, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, Catwoman is really the huntress she of is. that group where, where if you have you know, Dinah and Batgirl, it's the Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn aspect. But they have that dynamic of, hey, the boys don't just do this on their own. We, we could be stronger than the boys kind of thing. And, and, but, and Catwoman brings that aspect to it. She's like, hey, we kick more ass than they do. Why aren't we doing and this? So, kind and of pretty thing. much what Sirens is, is it's those three working their way up the male-dominated criminal underworld of exactly. Gotham. Exactly. And I believe the, I haven't I haven't read a lot of it, but I've read you know information about it. And you know Riddler is out of the game. He's a detective now, I believe. Yep. If they decide to go that route, right? If they decide to go that, but route. really, I mean, you look at this and you're like, again, you you look at how great she was as Harley Quinn. And I'm talking about Margot Robbie, of course, and you're like, oh my God, she's gonna, you know, do this stuff with, with Harley Quinn. She's gonna have control. It's gonna be kind of like, you know, it's gonna be awesome. And now you bring in the sirens, and then of course you, you, we, what's one thing we talked about during our Suicide Squad review? Where one, I think the best parts about it, you know, again, we're like the two, probably the two guys that like the Suicide Squad right. movie, but what we loved about it was it showed you the origin and kind of even though it was dark it was the the origin and kind of like the, the quote unquote honeymoon I'm using the term loosely honeymoon part of Joker and Harley Quinn's relationship and then there's an issue I believe it's issue 25 in the New 52 actually where she brutally breaks up with Joker by like beating the fuck out of him well and they, they do that with a with a Future's End tie in as right. well so I mean here's the deal as, as you look at where they could go with this, they could be, the sirens could be the ones that are pulling Harley away right. 
from the Joker, and therein lies the problem for Joker and making him an interesting antagonist in this movie. And also, with that, you have this thing of, you know, now in the comics, and it's really cool, is the, the love connection between Harley and Poison Ivy. So while for the first movie, it'd be, I think, too early to do that. Definitely too it'd be, early. It'd be too fast. I think that you can put little breadcrumbs in, like Poison Ivy, you know, reaching out to her, but having and showing this maybe small parts of affection towards Harley's Harley. definitely the aggressor in that relationship, I would say. I would say Harley's the aggressor in that relationship. Uh, and they've, they've, I mean, they've kind of made, they've kind of shown that in the comics, but there's been times where it's been a little wishy-washy. But I agree with that. Do that, but don't do it because you haven't really established Poison Ivy. Right. If you, you have to establish her first. I mean, we know who she is. We're not stupid. We know who she is. But for the general audience, you need to establish her first before you can do that. And, and yeah, drop those little hints. And, you know, maybe Catwoman makes a couple comments here and there. Now, here's the thing. We've got a rumor for the casting for Poison Ivy. We don't talk about rumors a whole lot, but I want to talk about this one because to me it doesn't make sense, and that's Megan Fox. Yeah, she doesn't make sense at all. She, she She's not even the right age, first of all. Well, not just that, but she just, doesn't, she just doesn't strike me as a Poison Ivy. No. And I think that a, a, an actress I think would be a great do a great Poison Ivy, but fortunately she's already tied to a Marvel film, is Karen Gillan, who of course plays Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy. I would say her, or what about Alicia Vikander? Who's playing Laura Croft. And who's involved in this movie again? The writer for the Tomb Raider reboot is writing this movie. Does it not make sense? Does she not look the part? Does she not play smart? You see an ex machina? She plays smart. She's got an action background that she can go from. And not even that there would be that much action. She just looks like she fits that mold of what Poison Ivy should be. So, Megan Fox, you wouldn't cast her as Catwoman or anything like that? Nope. So who would you play cat, have to play Catwoman? I know people like Anne Hathaway. No. You, they're not going to cast Anne Hathaway only because she already was Catwoman in a different it universe. It doesn't make sense doesn't anyway. Make sense. I mean, she was she was a good Catwoman in that particular story because it was a very particular Catwoman. Right. This particular Catwoman was of a particular universe. But, I mean, you're not, deal, you're not dealing with a universe anymore where... You know, everything's set in realism. You're dealing with a universe where Poison Ivy exists. Right, exactly. So you you can't do that. It's tough, man. It's hard to come up with the right name because it's... You don't want to say that she's more important than Poison Ivy. Right. In in the Batman mythos and in the Sirens. But at the same time, this is an important character. But here's the thing, too, is, you know, Catwoman has that tie with Batman. Ben Affleck's Batman movie comes out in 2018. Right. Do you think they're going to... I'm not saying this is gonna, they're gonna they're gonna throw a lot of guys in here, but are do you think that they're going to? I mean, I say more in terms of just love story aspect, really, outside of Joker. But do you think that they're going to use Catwoman to kind of catapult the Batman? They could do that. I think you also have to introduce some sort of sidekick. I use that term in air quotes in this movie as well as far as a Batman sidekick. So you've got to bring Batgirl in. Or you've got to bring Nightwing right. in. I'm not saying you have to go full on like Birds of Prey. Right. You certainly could, but you don't have to. But here's you the got thing. to introduce somebody though. You but can't, here, and you don't have to use Batman in here either. I don't think. Not thing, a lot anyway. Here's the thing. This is a movie. It's, you know, Siren. I think Siren's a story about them working their way up in the criminal underworld. Well, I think Joker would be the perfect, I think, idea for an antagonist. I think that 
this might be a movie where everybody has their own antagonist. Don't discount Penguin in this. Right, that's what I'm saying. Don't I think? Yeah, don't throw him out because he could actually be a very because you know the dynamic between he and Catwoman is very interesting. Right. So that could be one that you could throw in there, and it would actually make sense if you wanted to go that route. Which is why I'm saying if you want to have like Joker has to deal with you know Harley has to deal with the Joker, then Catwoman has to deal with Penguin. You want to throw maybe maybe if you want to throw Riddler in there as deal with Poison Ivy. You know they each have their own thing. And who's the main? is very important in this too because is Penguin Mayor? Right. Because if he is then that's a whole different story. Right. And it's a whole different can of worms and everything else like that. But I mean you look at just what they want to do with this and I, I know Ayer's attached to it and I think that and I think that's a great thing because you have that continuity. No problem with that at all. I know people are saying shouldn't it be a woman directing? I, I get that but I don't think you force stuff like that. Well I, I think that it's more in terms of just Ayer already has directed Harley Quinn in the movies. And so did I, well with it I think. I, and remember Margot Robbie when it was first announced that Harley was getting her own spinoff Margot Robbie has control pretty much. So she yeah. has like I'm literally pointing this out. Like she literally has the same amount of control for Harley Quinn as Ryan Reynolds has for Deadpool. Yeah, don't act like there's no female attached no, to this. No, she's production. a producer. I think yeah. I believe Mar like also she's like an executive producer. Yeah, on this she as well. was named that a long time ago. So, just because it's sirens that doesn't mean she's right. not gonna be. So that's what you gotta realize. Like people say, well, David Ayer's doing this, and we all know and people say, Well, we all know how he treats females in those movies. But again, you you have to remember that when this was first announced, Margot Robbie is going to be you know, heavily involved in the behind-the-scenes process, not just in front of the camera. So, as you know, she has a lot of say in this. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm not worried about it at all. So, I, I, I'm not worried about it at all. But moving on to our, our second story, which still ties to the DC universe, we love Hanna-Barbera. Yep. We love DC. Guess what, kids? They're going to meet each other. Man, you kind of thought Again. this was going to happen, didn't you, when they relaunched the Hanna-Barbera universe not too long ago, and of course you got Rebirth. So now we're going to get that crossover between DC and Hanna-Barbera in 2017, and we're not just talking about the Scooby-Doo Batman cartoons here, kids. We're talking about a full-on crossover. As a matter of fact, the T's had Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and Space Ghost together. Wait, you're not saying Space Ghost! That's how you fucking say it. About, what about Hawkman and Birdman? <laughs> and the banana splits. Well, then there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's like, can you imagine, like, we live, we, we're living in, an, in a, a nerd comic book era where the banana splits and Batman are, you know, are, you know, it's just... Yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's a different one right there. <laughs> I, I In my childhood, watching those things, I never in a million years thought, even in my vast imagination, wouldn't it be cool if the Banana Splits and Batman had a show together? Wouldn't it be cool if Top Cat worked at the Daily Planet? Right, I mean, come on. <laughs> I never thought these things in a million years. So, I don't even know how we could begin to dissect what they could do with this. Snagglepuss creep Oh, Superman, you got the kryptonite. Oh, no. Oh, what's a snap? Just a snagglepuss. I just got kryptonite in my hands. Oh. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine when, when, when Barney and oh. Fred meet Batman for the first time oh. and Barney goes, Oh, this guy's kind of intense, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, can you imagine Adam Ant and the Atom? That would be very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's just so many different things you can do, though. I mean, you could go on forever with this stuff. So uh, your your mind is kind of blowing it. Okay, who's the antagonist for this going to be? And, and, and what's the story going to be? And, and, and why are they brought together? Right. And how did this happen? There's so many questions. And 
I'm not even sure I know the answer. Well, now we, we know they're going to be coming out, I believe, in March, and they're going to be annual. I think it is March. It's yeah. March, and they're going to be annual. So it's going to be really interesting to see, again, how they tie these worlds together. And like I said, I'm a huge Green Lantern. Like Green Lantern, I love Batman, Superman's great. Green Lantern's my favorite DC character. When I saw you team up with Space Ghost, I'm like, yes! I was stoked <laughs> about that, too, because it's like, that makes perfect sense. Right. Absolute perfect sense. And nobody's crossed over with characters more than Batman in 2016, and that's clearly not going to stop in 2017, nor should it, by the way. But it'll just be very interesting to see, like you said, it was it, these are annuals. So are these going to be more team-up things? Are we going to say, okay... So Green Lantern's going to cross over with Space Ghost, and maybe Batman crosses over with Birdman. Are we going to see stuff like that, or are we going to see a gigantic combined thing? So I'm not exactly sure how they want to go with it, and maybe that will change. Because, you know, fan reaction has actually done a lot to change things in comics and TV and movies and stuff in 2016. So how much is that fan reaction going to change things leading up to this? And I know things get written way in advance, but you leak these stories early for a reason, you right. know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at these at the stories that they're doing and everything else, I mean, it's just one of these things where, again, we, they, they rolled the whole DC Hammer Barrel line out a while ago like with Flintstones and the new Scooby-Doo. Future Quest, like Future Wacky Quest. Raceland, they right. had a couple of others there that, that uh, slipped my mind at the time, but, and they've been good in their own little, in their own little world, and they've even kind of made sure that the Hanna-Barbera universes got combined as well to where all of those characters, okay, so we all know each other's exist and we can all play nice. So they actually did that already. So now you can find a way to bring the extended DC universe into that. Now, don't forget, too, that eventually, eventually, and I'm thinking this is going to be in 2017, we're actually going to see it crossed over with Watchmen as well. Right. So is this going to be a deal where all of a sudden all these things are colliding together? Is this going to be part of some sort of rebirth thing, or is this going to be a standalone? Because i got to tell you, either way, I'm good with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just looking at some of these titles right now. We have Adam Strange and Future Quest Annual Number 1. Which uh, that makes sense, given Adam Strange and the fact that they reintroduced him in The Death of Hawkman. Right, which I'm reading right now. That's actually pretty good. It's a good, good. arc, It's a man. really good arc. It's a good arc. So, I mean, you look, you look at like, you know, some of these other things. You know, it's going to be written by Dan Didio, and, and art's going to be done by Phil Winslade. So, I mean, you look at just, like, I like how they're also just focusing on on characters in the DC Universe who might not be as big. I mean, there's going to be a Booster Gold comic, which I know you're very excited about. Oh, of course, about. yeah. I can't wait you know, for that. For, by the way, you know, for Christmas, folks, get James, like, if you find like, a Booster Gold Funko Pop figure or just, like, you know, just something like a shirt with Booster Gold's face on it. Do you realize that a Booster Gold Captain Planet crossover is, like, my worst possible Oh, nightmare? Christ, let that happen. That is my worst nightmare. Oh. Is, man, no. No, no, no. But our, our final story, though, goes to the video game realm. You know, we talked about crossover recently, or just now, I should say, with, you know, Hanna-Barbera and DC. Well, you know, For Honor was a game that crossed over knights and samurais and stuff like that. So, and Vikings. So, it was one of those things where we saw at E3 where we were like, oh, we're so excited for it. Like, it's going to be great. It looks phenomenal. And then news came this week that, guess what, folks? You're going to have to have a constant connection to the internet in order to play the game in general. You know what people are shouting right now, right? They're saying, what's the big deal? Well, we're going to tell you what the big deal is. The big deal is, is this, and I'm, and if you're listening to this, odds are you're, you're a gamer as much as we are. So this might not be new news to you. But the thing is, is okay, you look at multiplayer-only games like Star Wars Battlefront that came out recently, or about like a year or so ago, early in the year. And the problem is, 
all these games run on servers, especially for a multiplayer. Well, say for instance, three, four years go down the line, you still have the game, but EA said, you know what, not a lot of people are playing multiplayer for Star Wars Battlefront anymore, or we're just going to, just in general, just shut the servers off. When the servers are down and they're off, they're off. That means you cannot play the game. You're done. And so for honor, what it is is, okay, normally the, this is why I think it's a real bummer to me. This is why I'm not really looking forward to buying the game anymore because single player in any game has always been offline for the reason of, okay, multiplayer has a timeline on how many people play multiplayer. But for fuck's sake, not a lot of people are playing Pokemon Go. Like, you know, this is the thing where we talked about a while yep, back. Like, yep. hey, when it gets colder out, people are going to trudge in the snow to catch a fucking dinner. The ditto. weather outside is frightful, and playing Pokemon Go is not so delightful. No. So, I mean, you have the, these timed things. And so when, when you announce and say, hey, this game that everybody's excited for, we're going to make this a whole online-based thing, that's a problem, especially... Listen, a lot of households, you know, have internet and stuff like that. But what if your internet goes out and everything else like that? And you're like, well, shit, I can't play for honor. Or what if you've got, like, out. six people on your Wi-Fi right. at home and it's lagging? Because lagging, to me, is the most frustrating part yeah. of online gaming. And sometimes it doesn't matter how good your internet is, you've got that problem. I've, I could tell you that there were times where I was playing DC Universe online. And I had a pretty damn good internet connection. But there would be, when you go on these raids and you've got eight people... Two people start to lag. Suddenly, they're gone. You're in the boss fight. Now, you're screwed because your healer just got bounced. Well, like when I play League of Legends, of course, Riot. You know, that's a game that where Riot's okay. It's an online game. We need to make sure our servers are running 24-7 and just kicking ass and everything else like that. That's different. This is a console game. Console games, the way their servers are treated from online games, like computer-based games, are totally different, I think. And, oh, I agree, and, yeah. And, and again, you have For Honor. So what's to say, okay... I know the PlayStation Pros got just got rolled out. I know Project Scorpio is on its way or whatever. We don't know what the fuck that is anyways. We just know it's from Microsoft. It's, pro- it's going to be after Xbox One. But what happens if, like, hey, PS5 is out. Okay. Servers are down for For Honor. I can't fucking play it. Or you what know? happens when they decide to just shut off the PS4 servers altogether? Right. Because... Hey, you're supposed to have been upgraded to PS5 by now, so uh, bye-bye PS4 it's users. Like, to put it in a similar scenario, this is reason why Apple, go fuck yourself. Uh, this really hits home for me because I was having problems with my laptop. And I went to go to Apple, and they were like, oh, well, the thing is, you can spend you know, $500 to fix your logic board, but as of December 31st, your laptop is now considered... Uh, a, a a a not a relic, but just vintage. Vintage, yes. That's and the remind word people how old your laptop is again. I bought it in two thousand eleven. That's not vintage. That is not vintage. I bought actually. I I know when I got it. I I got it in in two thousand eleven in August after I came home from Los Angeles. You want to talk vintage? What about my 2002-2003 gateway that I still dredge out? <laughs> that's that's way more of that. I would consider that maybe but, vintage. But but the fact is that they said, okay, so it's vintage. So, you know, what happens is, as of December 31st, we can't work on it anymore. We, and it's like, what the fuck? So I can spend, so you're telling me if I spent the $500 to get this, then you can't work on it? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because... You spend five hundred dollars or so on a console, and you have a game for it. And the thing is, this could, this could set very scary start a trend. Right, exactly, because this is a, the games are sixty bucks plus now. Well, not just that, but if if you're having that to where games are like sixty bucks 
a pop 66 with tax, at least here. And then PlayStation Plus, throw that on there too. Throw that on there as well. Plus your plus the money you're paying, say for instance, you're paying like 90 or 80 bucks for internet. Got to have the fastest internet. Right. Yeah. So that's a problem because you have all this this cost that's going into this, 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 these games. And the thing is, the the developer is not allowing these games to have a long lifestyle because servers not only take time, they take money to run as well. So it's like... Yeah, they're well, not just running for free. Yeah, they're not. Like, you know, and, and so the thing is, is when you make a game like For Honor, which has this great, you know, possible story mode and everything else like that, and, and you know, and I'm not a big multiplayer fan, but it's, it's just got this, this you know, good concept for multiplayer. But you say, we're going to make it online. To me, that's just like, oh, shit. And, and mind you... People travel and they bring their consoles with them and they get landlocked. So if you say, well, maybe you buy a PlayStation and the only game you get, you know, a lot of them come with bundles now, but the only game you get is For Honor. <laughs> you know, you go to Japan or whatever, you're like, well, shit, I'm landlocked. I can't play my game. Right. And not that that's a huge problem for a lot of people, but think about it this way, man. It's it's a $60 brick. Right. It's a coaster at that point. I mean, it, it, it's it, a and 60- did you... When you first saw For Honor, didn't you, when you saw it, you're like, man, this is going to be a great single-player right. story mode. It just seems like it's setting up for such a great story mode. And then you get this news, and it's like, what the hell just happened? Right. What, right. Did, what did you just do right. to this game? And why do this? That's the other question nobody's asking. <laughs> because either you don't care because you're going to play it anyway, or, or you're just so used to this. Why on earth are you even doing this? It's like, Why? It's like buying a sex robot that you have to keep plugging to the wall. And, I mean, you, and eventually, it's going to short circuit. Okay? Well, well, hopefully when you're not inside of it. Well, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> but I mean, seriously though, you can't do... I guess, guess you can do this, but you're right. You're <laughs> setting a very dangerous precedent because if this is hugely successful, right. everybody's going to do say this Ubisoft now. says, well, this was successful for Honor. Hey, Assassin's Creed, let's do that. Let's make it all online. Hitman, let's do that. Final Fantasy, let's do that. Oh, God, Final Fantasy was just an online thing. I'd, I'd cry. I'd I mean, really think cry. Think about that. You just beat Final Fantasy fifteen. I did. None of that involved having to be online. Right. I'm glad about that. <laughs> you know, I'm and glad. what was wrong with that? Absolutely fucking nothing. Exactly, because it was a great game anyway, and you loved the hell out of playing it, and you didn't need to be online with 16 other assholes to beat the game. <laughs> yeah, man. And let's face it, online gamers, I'm sorry, some of you could be real dicks. Well, there's there's a certain reason. And I'm actually, since we're on this topic, you know what? Fuck, let's go on another tangent. A reason why I don't like outside of League... The reason why I don't play online multiplayer a lot is because swatting scares the fuck out of me. Yeah, and then there's that. It scares So for people, I actually was, I have a funny one, you know, from being Final Fantasy, I brought up swatting. Somebody didn't, was there, was getting Final Fantasy 15 the same night I did. Didn't know what swatting was. I said, oh yeah, it's this thing where, like, say for instance, I'm kicking your ass to the game, and you can call the cops, get my address, and say, hey, there's a hostage situation, get a SWAT team sent to my apartment or my house, and... Shit just goes down, and I could I'm dead or, or, or in danger just because you can't take losing. And people do that, and it's a crime in a lot of places now, but it's just, it fucking right. scares me. And that's why I stay, outside of League, 
I stay the fuck off of online multiplayer. I'm going to stop myself from elaborating on this further because I feel like I could get into dangerous territory, so I'm not going to say what I want to say. Okay. But at the same time, you're right. This is some serious real-world shit we're talking about because people can't handle... Because and I know gaming is serious, okay? You spend all this money right. and you invest all this time. I get why it's serious. But you got to stop yourself from being a complete lunatic, okay? You have to do that. And if all gaming is going to suddenly start to go this route... You have to realize that's a fact. I mean, again... That is a factor you need to put in I need to look at statistics on how many people still do that type of shit, but... It's one of those things where you're, it's, it's setting, it's making it easier, and it's, it's getting scarier. And, and so I think that, you know, making things online, especially for games, like, keep single-player offline. Just do it because, there, again, there are, people that, there are people that, like, keep systems as well, like, like older systems, just because, because I've got almost all of mine. Right. Almost all of them, not just because I wouldn't get anything for trading them in anyway. Right. But there's a couple games that, you know, like older versions of Madden that have certain players on them that right. you can't play as anymore. Not really, anyway. Well, you want to keep, keep that Tecmo Bowl so you can play as Bo Jackson. That's right. So why <laughs> wouldn't you do that? So, I mean, you're right. So then all of a sudden, this is an online-only game. You're screwed, buddy. You can't play it anymore. So what's the point? Well... We don't know what the point is to that, but what we do know is we love Winona Earp. Oh, no doubt. And we love Winona Earp Legends Doc Holiday. And guess what? We're going to be joined again by the creator and, re- and co-writer, I should say now, of Winona Earp Legends, Bo Smith, as well as, yes, Doc Holiday himself, Tim Rosen, is going to be joining us as well to talk about... Why on Earth Legends Doc Holiday in season two of Why on Earth on Sci-Fi? That's coming up next. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Wine on Earth, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I think it's safe to say that 2016 was a pretty good year for Wine on Earth, not just for comics and having everything come back, but the series on Sci-Fi as well. Brand new book, Why on Earth Legends Doc Holiday from IDW Publishing. Let's have a couple guys. I think you're going to be familiar with As a matter of fact, Doc Holliday himself, Tim Rosan's on the show. And welcoming back to the show, our favorite cuddly grizzly, grizzly bear, it's Bo <laughs> Smith. How you doing, gentlemen? I'm doing good. I'm doing great, guys. So, Tim, you've had a chance to work with great writers like Bo and, of course, Emily Andros on the show. So how much did that kind of inspire you and help you in working on this comic that you're also writing with them? This year, I mean, I know everybody said 2016 was so bad. That's kind of like the thing that's going around. Everybody can't wait for it to be over. But no offense, 2016 was awesome. And <laughs> I might have stole the world's karma because I had a great year. And I'm actually I'm getting tired of listening to myself saying how thankful I am and how much of a dream this year was. But it's the absolute truth. And uh, the writing experience with Bo was, was that. It was uh, a dream come true for people who don't know. I've been a comic book collector most of my life. And uh, I've been a huge comic book fan, and I've been a huge Western fan, and I somehow, somehow got to co-write a book for IDW about a character I play on TV with Bo freaking Smith. So I don't know how it happened. I don't know what I did to make the universe turn this way, but I'm not complaining for a second. I'm just saying, whenever I, I still watch that video of when season two of Final Herb got announced, and I still get teary-eyed because I'm, just, I mean, yeah. you know, because I, you know, I love you guys so much. We're friends, and it's just, you know, seeing everybody's reaction was just so priceless. Yeah, that was another one that was kind of awesome. Like the thing that I'm learning about Emily, man, is she can keep some secrets, but she <laughs> seems to know everything. <laughs> 
And and I don't know how she keeps the lid on it, but yeah, what you saw there was pretty much genuine, genuine about as genuine as it gets. We maybe we maybe got the season two announcement announcement what like an hour and a half before we did our panel, Bo. Yeah, you all. Yeah. Did. I knew three oh, days. You knew too. Oh, Another listen to this season. guy. Listen I was to this guy who already knew too. Prior. I'm just a good liar. That's <laughs> <laughs> just keeping the secrets. It's just I lie all the time, so you or, never know when to believe. Or just me. nobody tells Tim anything. We could just go with that. That's and, a fact. Right and there. Tim is probably the best at, at keeping things secret out of everybody. So I don't, yeah, I don't understand that one. Yeah, that's just because I'm forgetful, and pretty much everybody tells me something, and I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The last time we had you on the show, Bo, we talked about what it was like for you to see your baby, Winona Earp, get adapted to television. And now I got to ask you, what's it like to not only see the show achieve the success it has, but also spawn off a series like Legends Doc Holiday? That's, uh, as a cliche goes, that's icing on the cake there. I mean, that's, that's something that none of us had planned until Ted Adams, CEO of uh, IDW, said, you know, Bo, how do you feel about writing with the cast? Would you like to, you know, do a couple stories with him? Yeah, you know, my second question is, can they write? And he goes, well, I don't know, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a pleasant surprise in the fact that, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, Tim and I just hit, hit the ground running. And, you know, I was down on my knees. Thank you for, you know, this is great. And we ended up doing kind of a self-addiction thing and the fact that we were used to talking every day, going over the story every day, FaceTiming every day, messaging every day. And then all of a sudden we, we just did everything too fast. It was over. It was gone. Two issues. And we're going like, uh, what do we do now? I, I guess we got to work or, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> missed missed that part a whole lot. Absolutely. Now, for anyone who hasn't read issue one yet, which has been out for a little bit now, this is a bit of a spoiler for anyone who hasn't read it yet, but we see the Pinkertons come to play at the end of the issue, so how much more will we find out about their history with Doc in the Earps and future issues, guys? You know, Tim's one that brought the Pinkertons to the table in the first place when I asked him what kind of ideas, what kind of things would, uh, you know, you like to do in this, and that just you know, work perfectly. So what that did for me, as far as future issues, that opened a whole new door. I've got pretty big plan for the Pinkertons in, and especially as a somewhat of a paranormal rivalry with black badge. And we're going to see a lot more of it. And I'm hoping in the future here, when we get ready to do that, that Tim is not too busy being king of the world that he can come back and he and I can co-write, what's going to happen here. Now you have to take that up with him or, or his team. <laughs> what do you say there, Tim? <laughs> I'm already in guys. Let's do it. <laughs> no one has to ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Tim is both a writer and as an actor, what's one aspect of doc you feel is most important to get across in a comic series like this one? Yeah, that's a great question. And and even when we were talking about writing the story, the thing that was important to both of us right off the top is that is even though it would be a Doc-centric book, it wasn't just about Doc. It was about Winona. So for me, kind of the most important thing for the character in the comic and on the show is that relationship with Winona and how um, it changes him and how he learns from her and his feelings for her. That was my main thing of what... Not so much he learns from himself, but what he learns from her, from the relationship with her, from going 
down the road with Winona and kind of how it's shaping him and changing him into uh, the man he's becoming. And I think I think both the they're both super interesting storylines within the book and within the show. Absolutely. I mean, you bring that up. And one of the things that Nick and I have always loved about Winona Earp, and I'm sure you guys too, has always done a great job at highlighting badass female characters. And Legends also has Valdez in there as well. So what do you all love about her character so much? And what will her relationship with Winona and Doc be like? Valdez is a tough character for me in the fact that I've got to watch when I'm writing the book that I just don't make it all Valdez because <laughs> I just, and I'm sure they went through this with Star Trek in the beginning where they just wanted to make it all Spock or even happy days when all of a sudden they wanted to make it all Fonzie. I, I just I love the character, but I'm also trying to rein it in on the fact that what makes Valdez is a good character is the mystery. You don't know all of her background. You don't know that all, you know, if all of her cards are on the table yet. And trust me, guys, there's some big major stuff in the future with Valdez that everybody's going to find out from one end to another, right down to her name. I'm real excited about getting to unfurl that flag for everybody. It's all about finding that happy medium, right, Bo? Yeah, it, it is. It's um, it's knowing when to take your foot off the, the gas, pull back, hit the brake for a little bit, and uh, hopefully with these, you know, last, say, six issues that she's been in, it's it's gotten people excited because she is different from Winona. She's different mm-hmm. from Waverly. She's different from Hot. She's different from each character, which is what I like what Emily has done, and Tim can attest to this. She's made every... It's a, it's a very female-centric TV series, and she's made every woman different. They're all strong, but they're different in so many ways. And that just, I mean, that appeals to a lot of people that, uh, you know, makes people relate to a lot of different characters and sometimes all of them. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, you know, right now as we're all sitting here, we're, we're all men with different types of facial hair. James, Bo, and I have beards going. Tim's got, the, of course, the famous mustache. So... What is the funniest or weirdest compliment somebody has ever given you on your facial hair? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I have so many. The thing is, is that, you know, when, when I'm on set playing Doc Holliday, it, it's, you know, I got the mustache and the hat and the guns, and it makes sense. When I'm not filming and I'm going to Starbucks to get an espresso, <laughs> I look like the ultimate hipster of hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you're betraying your people. Like, you should be in Portland ordering a special roast somewhere. You know, exactly. Like, I should be getting white. What does everybody drink now? White caps or I don't know what the flat white. <laughs> you're the a daisy if you do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, hey, if you, I could Bo? go back to um, uh, Valdez for one second. Uh, I remember telling Bo right away that she was easily one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And Valdez came up yesterday at our read-through. Yesterday at our first cast read-through, we got to hear the scripts out loud again. And there's some new characters. And then everybody was talking about what characters they'd love to see. And Valdez was beyond yes. everybody. Pretty much everybody yes, said yes. Valdez. And then Emily said, yeah, but guys, who the hell do we cast? <laughs> and the only thing I could think was I said, well, does The Rock have a sister? <laughs> That's perfect. Who, who that is, that is. Does that person exist? <laughs> that would work, okay. actually. Let's find that out. Yeah. That would be, you know, generally when I'm writing the comic, 
and not just this, but any comic, especially when it's one career your own, I've got an actor or a person or someone, an athlete, somebody that I've, you know, seen in my head. And Valdez, I pretty much draw a blank on. I hadn't have since, because I've never seen a six foot four, 200 pound, incredibly beautiful, tough woman of South American descent. Yeah. Uh, I would like to, that's not saying I wouldn't, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. So that was created out of whole cloth. Uh, and Laura Ennis, who was the artist on the, the first part of the series and still does covers. Um, I told her what I wanted. She came up with uh, that and we kind of played in the middle, ended up in the middle of it. But, um, It'd be that'd be a tough one to cast. It really would. I'd like to sit because I mean, you know, everybody talks about diversity stuff, so, but how many really st- strong South American women have you seen on television? Series? True, true, true. So true. that I would love, to, I would love to see it just on that matter alone. Plus, you know, if she's on the TV series as a character, it might be a chance for a rough dock up a little bit, and that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if I'm going to get roughed up by a six foot five Mayan, I got no problem with that. <laughs> there you go. We're talking to Tim Rozon and Bo Smith, of course, of Wine on Herb. Not just the television series, but Wine on Herb Legends Doc Holiday as well. Issue one available now. Issue two is going to be available on December the 28th, so right before the new year. Now, guys, especially you, Tim, I know you're getting ready to go back into production for season two. We all saw what happened on the finale, especially with Waverly, so. What can fans expect in the upcoming season? Are there any secrets that you can kind of drop on us? Um, Obviously, I can't give any secrets. Um, But I'll tell you this. This, she takes off Emily Andrus. She wrote the first script. This show just comes out running out of the gate. I mean, the thing we had last year is we had to set it up. You know, and it it takes a while. Like, for people who who watched last year's show – you got to really put in the episodes to really get the whole kind of world that's created there, you know, to get everything out of what is Winona Earp, the show, what is the character and all the stuff. It's hard to do in the first couple episodes, but we already have that this year. So we just come running out of the gate and there's no stop mark. I just keep going through the scripts and there's not like a, any part of it where we stop to take a breath. It's just forward momentum of craziness. And the coolest thing of all is, like, you can see that the Erpers, what they want and what they're... Oh, no. It's all in there. It's everything <laughs> they want. But at the same time, it's not going to be what they want. It's going to, you know, I can just see, oh, people are going to be happy. I just think people are really, 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 really going to like where we're going with it. Especially the people who, who saw the first season and who are, um, yeah, they're going to be happy. And, you know, going back to the comic, in the first issue, we got an inside look at some possible fractures in the relationship between Doc and Wyatt Earp. So how will Doc's past weigh on the minds of his team members going forward in the series? I, I can say this, especially with um, issue two of Legends, Doc Holliday, that's getting ready to come out. The, the main bad guy, Boone Helm, who dealt with both Doc and Wyatt, you know, over 100 years ago. Uh, he he drops a little Easter egg on uh, Winona, so this is going to open up again. It's all part of Tim and I's master plan to keep writing this stuff together forever. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but he, it's gonna open up, 
<laughs> there you go giving away stuff again. <laughs> we're not trust me, we're not giving away nothing. Yet. <laughs> it was be we're cooking the steak, you guys are just smelling it. Um, <laughs> there's 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 some really neat stuff there. Tim and I have discussed um even a possible uh throwback series of doing Doc and Wyatt Earp and some of the paranormals that they came across back over a hundred years ago. So we're, we're also, we've got that. We're, we're the make believe Stanley and Jack Kirby with a million ideas now only on a much lower level. Yeah, Let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. Absolutely. That That's something we want to do. And, and I mean, to be honest with you in a perfect world, you know, Tim and I would love to work with uh, our artist, Chris Evan Hughes forever. I mean, and it, Oh my gosh. In this second issue, you will see the magic that he does with these subtle expressions on each character that will actually tell the story within a story. Their words are saying one thing, but you're looking at their expression, just like with the TV series going, wait a minute, there's a little bit more to that. And Chris is so amazing at pulling that off. Uh, you know, I just, you know, I, I kiss that guy's butt every day artistically. He is just, uh, he's a dream. He really is a dream. He, Tim, you still, I haven't bored you. You're still there, aren't you, Tim? Oh, of course. Okay. I want to make sure I didn't hog, Everything. <laughs> no, I'm never going to interrupt Bo Smith. You crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you have the floor. <laughs> uh, and, you know, to answer your question for the series on the show, I can't, like I said, I can't say too much or not, but there just might be already, right away in the first episode, someone back from Doc's past. May or may not. I can't say too much, but... Um, in the in the show, yeah, that's there too. Um, obviously, um, in the comic book world, yeah, I would I would love to keep writing comic books forever. I'm just happy that forever this has been recorded. That uh, you know, Bo compared us to Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. So <laughs> that's right. It's out there now. <laughs> it's out there now. It's there forever. Uh, no pressure. I think Tim yeah. could attest in this first episode that's coming out in the second season. Tim, can you attest that there are a lot of answers from the first first uh, season, but just tons of new surprises right in the first episode. A hundred percent. And I mean, and that's, it does, that's just, that's what one owner herb is in the book, in what Bo does or what Emily does. It's never going to be simple. And there's never, there's always something new. There's always new characters. There's always, and to, you know, to be a part of that was great. Um, I mean, you, all to, about going, you all did the reading yesterday or this week. Mm-hmm. I, I can just see the viewers watching this first episode, and it's going to be they're going to be sitting there watching it like this, going, "Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is, she is just going to pop, pop, pop with all this stuff. It's it's pretty amazing." Oh, oh yeah, you're not kidding. There, because listen, I read them. It's crazy because yeah, I'm on the show, but it's so weird because I'm like a fan of the show, so. It's like when I first got the scripts, I was just like, holy shnikes, this is insane. <laughs> and like, I just called Emily. I'm like, you can't do all this in the first episode. She's like, but I already did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sorry. Yeah, it's it's already done. done. That's why we love you know, Emily. It's already yeah. done. It's done. So then, then, you know, you get the second script and you're like, holy, it's already, it's happening. It's just, minds will be blown. I've got a question for you guys, if you don't mind. All right. Yeah. Uh, You've seen the TV show. You've read the comic. In the comic book, and they, again, this is in a perfect fantasy world, 
can you name a few artists that you'd like to see draw the book? I, don't, oh, I mean, just geez, off the top, man. you know, it's whatever, no particular order. I, mean, I was curious. It was a guy. He's work, he, we, we had him on the show, and he's what he's done with uh, IDW's Revolution series is amazing. Fico Asio. Yes. see draw Winona. Yes. I'll throw Tommy Lee Edwards in there as well. There's another. That, that, that's another. That's another good name that I that I know worked with the IDW in the past. We're actually probably going to try and get him on sometime in 2017. That's done really well. And and any of the artists on your variant covers, man, because some of yeah. them have been really really good. You want to give them a little piece? I would do that too. Now, how about? I mean, even outside of IDW, I mean, anywhere, oh, anybody. Man. Well, I'm... let's see. What about Carlos? Carlos Magno. Carlos Magno would be great. Yeah, uh, he you, works on Kong Skull Island. He's yep. he's really good. He, he would, would fit be in well. He would be excellent. Okay, yeah, Carlos would, Magno definitely. Kind of get an idea because I don't get the chance, you know, working here in the the writer rat hole with myself. I, you know, I don't get a chance to ask other people that, and that's that. I was really curious on it. Thank you, I appreciate that. No, no oh, definitely. Yeah, anytime. Hey, if you, if you ever, you know, film the show, Tim, you as well. You know, if you guys are filming the show and you need a, a one-armed man or a demon or a goatee <laughs> demon, let James and I know. We'll be up in Vancouver with. They'll you. be on the first flight out. No problem. <laughs> well, I mean, this is just something we want to go on forever, guys. Not just the series that's going to be premiering Season 2 on Sci-Fi in 2017, but also Winona Earp Legends. You can get your hands on Issue 1 right now, and Issue 2 comes out December the 28th at your local comic book shops, and always check out IDWPublishing.com. Writer and creator extraordinaire Bo Smith and Doc Holliday, Tim Rozon, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Listen, I really want to thank you, especially uh, from your review, because uh, each part of this step meant something to me from the first time I read. I got, like, Bo sent me back the first writing, and then I got the first images, and then when the book came out, it all meant something. But when your review came out, and you guys kind of hit on some of the points that me and Bo had talked about that we wanted the readers to get while we were writing, and that's pretty much what you said in your review, that meant so much to me. That I can't thank you enough. So, so thank you guys. And, and Tim, you know, when we reviewed on the show, and those, I mentioned all those points, you know, the book is just—it's an amazing book. You guys really nail yeah, everything did. that we're looking for in this. And you know, when I first found out, oh my god, they're doing a Doc Holiday Legends comic, I'm like, yes. We fought, we fought <laughs> over who was going to review it. Actually, we, we, we had to go tooth the nail on that. I was like, all right, Nick, you got it. Yeah. But, I mean, you guys just done a phenomenal job. Again, just thank you for for just coming on the show and talking about it. We can't wait to see what happens in Season 2 on the show. Well, Tim and I can do this every day. Every day, all day. Four of us are getting no work done. (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. You know, James, we've done over 140 episodes. We've interviewed numerous amounts of people. But, you know, as somebody – and I told Tim and Bo this off mic. I said, you know – as somebody who does a show like this every week, who writes reviews, who does audio reviews, hearing Tim just say, you know, your review meant so much to me. Like, like that speaks a lot to me, man. Like, that hits me really close in the heart. And I know on the show we say you're friends with certain people, and we are, but with Tim and Bo, we really are true friends with one another. It's and, it's funny because I felt the same way because remember way back when I reviewed the first when why not right. the first came back and we were talking to to Emily and and Melanie and Bo before and, and Emily said that was my favorite review and I sat there I was like oh that's 
That's just so great. Right. That was her favorite review. So, I mean, there's something about this cast and these people and this show that's just, it's just it, different, it's, you know? It, it really is the the definition of a family cast. They're just a, they're just a family, like a warm, loving family. You know, I joked, hey, if you guys need, you know, cast members, we would go up to Vancouver and yeah, shoot with definitely. them. But we know as soon as we arrive on set... We'd be you're welcome with open arms and just it'd be awesome. Well, you with open arms. So. Well, open arm, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, it's just it's one of those things where you know you, you we would step on a set and and just be loved and, yeah, and, and be welcomed, and, and that's what this cast brings. And I mentioned earlier in the interview about the video of when they announced, "Hey, we got season two. and just seeing the raw emotion, everybody, every hug, like that's. Yeah, love right there. That's what you want creative teams and casts and, and and production people just to be like together. I mean, what have we said a thousand times on the show? We want people working on things because they love them. Right. And, and how could Bo not love the thing he created? But then you bring in a guy like Tim Roson, who's not just a huge comic book fan, but somebody who just loves the character of Doc Holliday so much that you can see that not just in this One Honor of Legends Doc Holliday comic, but on the show as well. You can just see that pouring out, and it seems like everybody on that show has their love for not just that particular character, but for the, the property as a whole. And I just think that that shows, and I can't wait for even more of this on the screen and on the page. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Don Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to our very close friends, Bo Smith and Tim Rozon, for coming on. And talking about Winona Earp, Legends Doc Holiday, and the show Winona Earp on Sci-Fi. We're so excited, not only for the rest of the issues in the series, but also for season two. We cannot wait for that to premiere as well. And hey, if you want more Tim and Bo, they're on Twitter as well. But we're also on Twitter as well at DownNerdy757. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash downandnerdy. Going back to Twitter, I'm at Merck with one arm. Same thing on the Instagram, and the one is spelled out, Mr. Witham. Where can they find your soon-to-be-hopefully-on-the-TV goateed face? Yeah, you never know. At James A. Switham is where you can find me on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. Everything you need, though, really, at our website, downnerdypodcast.com. We've got our comic book reviews that we do every week. They're up there if you want to check those out. There's a This Week section. You want to buy Doc Holiday Legends, one on Earp, on digital from Amazon? Right. We've got that for you up there. You know, we'll even throw... Why not Herb Season 1 on there as well? If you we'll want do to go that. ahead and grab yeah. that. You know, the, you can find that in this week's section. Find out everything else that's been on our show this week at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, pass safe comic book reading and always bag and board your comics.